0: Last week, this week, we're going to talk about the generous life. The generous life. Amen. Hallelujah. I pray tonight you'll let something be different for you than any other time. I pray that the Lord will challenge us tonight, that the Lord will help us all tonight that something could be different. I will say this. I'm not going to be afraid to say it. I'll keep saying it. It's kind of against my personality, but I'll keep saying it. I need help. We have numerous families that have come into church recently that are not part of our church, but if they came here, the Lord want them to be here. And the best way to help people uh, get to be a part of the church and be saved so they can in turn become part of God's kingdom is for us to befriend them and for us to get them involved in some sort of home Bible study, some kind of study in the Bible. People don't get saved and stay strong if they don't engage in some form of Bible study. It is said that people that come to church, if they get involved with some kind of discipleship or Bible study, the chance of them staying in the church is 78%. But if they come in the church and they never get involved with uh, discipleship or Bible study, the chance of them staying in the the church goes way down, way down. So what we have to say to ourselves is, how do we help people get saved? And we will get into um, you know, we talk about all the time. You'll hear me get into it a whole lot because what I can't get through that I don't believe I'm getting through, um, to our congregation is this. It doesn't matter how long you've been living for the Lord. Don't doesn't matter how long you've been in church. If you're not involved with helping someone get saved, you're not where you need to be. All of us got to be involved with helping somebody get saved. All of us have to be involved in that. And if we're not involved in that, I am telling you, you're going to find yourself looking at yourself. Because one of the ways that you stay safe is while you're going through. I heard one time a preacher told me um, that, that I smiled because it's, he, he was right. A preacher told me that um, he said, man of God, sometimes you got a knife in your back and you act like you don't. And I know what he was saying. Um, the point is when you get involved with reaching the loss, when you get involved in helping somebody else get saved and you see that hunger and you see that passion that they said, well, tell me about this. Well, what about this? And they want to know about this and they want to know about that. Guess what, man, your house on fire. And you don't even think about it. You're like, oh, um, my house is burning. OK, but you're thinking about that question. You think about how can I help this babe in Christ? How can I help this person get to become a babe in Christ, but if you never get involved with helping someone reach the loss, you're only going to think about yourself, what's going on with your situation, what's your problem, how do you get better in this area, how do you get better in that area, and the secret is, if you will help somebody else, you will be getting better in that area while you're helping somebody else, and you don't even understand how God does things, and so we think that how we're going to get better is, let me pray more, let me fast more, let me, I hear you. But I guarantee you, you'll get better in areas that you feel like you're struggling with if you get involved with helping somebody else. Trust me. Take it from me. Not only that the Bible is true, but you've got someone that have lived it out and proved it out. So you've got the Bible that we know God's word is true. And then now you have someone standing before you that's saying, I proved it. That is true. So I just pray that you all will take heed and help me that when we get guests in this church, that we will certainly put a whole lot of effort into um, befriending them, try to get them in some kind of discipleship. If it's not you discipling them, get someone else discipling them or try to get them here on Thursdays. Amen. Don't get quiet on me now. Don't get quiet on me now. We, we got to get to the place where we tell ourselves, talk to me, preacher. You're talking about me. Tell me because I need to hear this so I can get it right. Sometimes when we don't respond, it means we just kind of brushing it off. Get to the next thing, preacher, because I hear you, and that's just not my thing. All right. here, 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 Here is uh, what, what the old Thomas say. Who can't hear? Here is what's, here's what we're going to see, and, you, and this makes my job just more difficult. Here's what we see. People don't listen to what I'm saying. Their situation and their life will be upside down, and then when it gets really bad, they may think, you know what? Maybe he was right. Why do we have to wait till they get to that point? Why can't we just trust somebody that's, that, that represent God? When are we going to trust somebody that represents God? Why are we just going to keep on doing things our way until things fall apart and things get really messed up? Then we really start thinking, you know what? Maybe I do need to. um, Yeah, but now you got scars and wounds and you're trying to live for God with these scars and wounds. And it makes it more difficult when you could have just did without those scars and wounds by just listening to the man of God or the woman of God from the first place. We got to get a little bit smarter in how we handle ourselves in the Lord. And not just, you know, keep on going through the motions and doing what we do. How about, you can see I got too many things on my mind. How about, I'm still back to saying how we come to church twice a week and and, and that's not enough. And I was reading something today. You know what, it, it got me about what I was thinking about the two times a week is not good enough. You want me to tell you another reason why two times a week is not good? I got a lot of reasons, but here's one other reason. You don't have a rhythm if you come to church two times a week. This is why we can miss the way we miss or run late or because your flow, it's not a flow. So anything that, let me give you a flow real quick. You might not like it, it might gross you out, but I'm going to give it to you. Most of you wake up a certain time, of the morning and go to the bathroom the same time am i wrong yeah you, you normally get up in the morning a certain time you got a set time you kind of do your thing a set way because why you've been doing it a systematic way for that's called a flow that's called a rhythm and as soon as some of us i can say for me you go on vacation everything don't flow the same. All of a sudden, you're kind of out of rhythm now because the days are broken up differently now. You're doing different things because you're out of rhythm. When you go to church two days a week, you never create a rhythm. You never create a flow. And so it's easy for you to just Eh, because you're all over the place, just us in general I'm not pointing out anyone just us in we're all over the place because it is not a flow. I guarantee you if we went to church every other day, there would be a rhythm and a flow guaranteed and 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 if you are a person that exercise constantly, you know exactly what I'm saying that once you get a flow in a routine you you are you become more productive. More effective because there's a flow, there's a routine, there's a rhythm. And so your body, your system, your spirit crave this flow, this rhythm, this routine. But if you don't have one, your spirit or your body can't crave it because there's nothing there for it to crave. All right. That was just on the side right there. So let's get into living unselfishly, the generous life. We're going to be talking tonight about the generous life uh, the, the generous life. We must practice generosity in order to model Jesus Christ and live unselfishly. We're going to start our text tonight in a different, um, portion of scripture that you might not even think have anything to do with generosity. Let's go to Acts chapter two. We'll start in verse 41. Acts chapter two, verse 41. We're going to be talking about the generous life, living life generously, living life generously. You want to live life generous, we're going to talk about that tonight. You don't want to live life generous, you're not going to like what we're talking about tonight. (laughs) And so Acts chapter 2. Or should I start all the way up to 38, Tony, just to give you some context. Let me start in 38 for Tony. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's what you did, Tony. You repented, all of us, most of us in here tonight. We repented of our sins and we were baptized in Jesus' name. That's what the Bible says, and that's how we got baptized. The Bible never told you to get baptized in titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The Bible says you must repent and be baptized. It didn't say some of you. It says every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And it tells you why you should get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It said for the remission of sins. Why? Because only Jesus can remit your sins. Why only Jesus can remit your sins? Because Jesus is the one that died for you. So you already have a little problem with your doctrine if you got baptized in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost because the Father didn't die for you. Because the father didn't have a body. So he couldn't die for you because he was spirit. And so the bottom line is Jesus died for you. You could say the son died for you, but son is a title. Jesus died for you, the anointed one, the Messiah. He died for you, so you have to be baptized in his name. Remember, when we are baptized into his name, it's saying we're baptized into Christ and 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 also what we're doing is we talked about we take on his life that because we should have died in our sins and because he died for us. Now we can live by baptism. We're able to take on his life and live. And so that's what we do when we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's what happened, Tony, when you got baptized in the water, you got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the removal of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the Bible says when you do that, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? That when you are baptized, that there is a promise that when you get baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That means God's spirit will fill you when you get baptized. Now, can you get God's spirit to fill you without being baptized? Yes. But when you get baptized in the name, the scripture is telling you that you shall there's there's you will receive there's a promise attached to your baptism in jesus name okay so that's what it's saying then it says in verse uh 39 for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off so when you and your children and all the relatives that are far off get baptized in the name of Jesus, they too have the promise of receiving the Holy Ghost. Right? And to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse number 40 says, And had many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So clearly when you get baptized in Jesus' name and you're filled with his spirit and you live right, you save yourself by doing that action. You don't do it, you're not saving yourself. Verse 41, let me get into what we're talking about tonight, the generous life. Verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You know what I love about this text? They that gladly receive his word were baptized ask yourself and i'm not you can answer that do you receive god's word gladly because when we come together as christians and we hear the word of god preach i told you i try to practice this that when the preacher i I think i told you guys this one time but i'll tell it to you again because some of you never heard it but i remember when i first got married I don't know, you know, we're trying to get our life on track and, you know, all kind of things is happening. And I was um, handling the checks and I was writing checks and, you know, things were working out. After a while, I started bouncing a couple of checks here and there. I'm like, oh, man, I, I'm messing up here. And man, it seems like the pastor preached for about two months on men messing up the check. Now, I know he didn't preach two months about it. But you just feel so convicted when you hear things that you know you have done wrong. And so it even came to the place where the man of God, we went over in Lawrence, he was preaching at another church, and somehow the subject came up. Man messing up the checkbook. I said, You gotta be kidding me. But I learned early in my Christian walk that if if you keep hearing something, God is speaking. Huh? You got go out over there. I learned that in my early. If I keep hearing the same message, God loves me that much that He keeps repeating to me what I need to get corrected. I learned that a long time ago, so I never got offended with the preaching anymore. And sometimes, as I told you, I always sat in the front, and He could be preaching about something that I, that that goes against what I've been doing. And 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 the guy messed up the pre the, the chat book, he got to get it right. I would stand up, preach it, preacher, preach it, uh, preach it. You know why? Because I want to get that in my soul. Wayne, get it right. That's how I feel about the word of God. If if I'm not doing it and I hear it, I challenge myself, get it right. It's the word of God, I'm not afraid of it. I tell myself all the time, get it right. Pray more. Get it right. You ain't praying enough. Read more. You're not reading enough. Get it right. I'm telling myself that all the time. You're not teaching enough Bible study. Get it right. Now I'm in trouble. I'm probably teaching too many Bible studies. Oh, Lord. So I challenge myself with the word of God all the time. Verse 41. You got to gladly receive the word. So you don't want to receive the word not gladly. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. I don't know if you're seeing all of this stuff that's coming together, how it's all happening. They received the Holy Ghost preaching is going on. They were continuing together. People were gladly receiving the word of God. Then verse 42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. It meant they continued in the teaching. So when they heard the teaching, they didn't stop right there and says, that's enough. They continued with the teaching and continued learning and they fellowship and they ate together and they prayed together. And the Bible says, and while they're doing all that, Fear, meaning reverence, reverence of God came upon every soul, and that's when miracles started happening. We want miracles, but we're not keeping the doctrine. We want miracles, but we're not fellowshipping enough. We want miracles, but we're not praying enough, but we want the miracles. There are churches, mainly Different nationality churches all throughout America. They do it in foreign countries. But especially in America, there there, there are different nationalities that when church is over, they have dinner together for a few hours. Y'all can't handle that. Church over? I know one church right now that they have church, they have Bible study or Sunday school, discipleship class, whatever you'd call it. They have it from... 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. 3 p.m. they take a break. 4 p.m. they have church, and they have church probably till 6:30. After 6:30, they eat together for another couple of hours. Y'all couldn't handle that. I'm not trying to be with those people that long. Mm-mm, I got things to do. I got places to go. Can't be with. I saw y'all enough. Two o'clock to eight o'clock at night. That's enough for y'all. I'm just saying that's how we think. But guess what? they probably experiencing miracles and signs, and guess what? They probably have a cohesion of being together. They probably pray a lot together, and they're experiencing a whole lot of moves of God. Why? Because they're following the teaching, not because they're doing whatever they want. They're following the teaching, and we say, well, this is America. That's not how we do things. They can keep doing it that way. Fear came on all the souls and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles verse 44 and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with with gladness and singleness of heart praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord added to the church daily such as should be saved you see all that stuff that was going on the lord added to the church because of all the things that were going on You see all the things that were going on when they received, when they came together and they became a part of the church, they didn't want any among them to be in need. They made sure everybody had something. They didn't want anybody to have need. And so they made sure they had enough. They, they sold their stuff and put everything in a pot and say, distribute evenly to everyone so we all will have something. We don't want any one of our brothers or sisters to not have. We don't want any one of our families not to have. That's what they were doing. Living generously. Yeah. The generous life. So listen to this. The early church began in a powerful, dramatic fashion. On the day of Pentecost, 120 disciples had gathered in the upper room. A prayer meeting that had begun over 10 days before was still in full operation as spiritually hungry disciples waited for the promise of the Father. 10 days praying together, waiting because God said, I'm going to send you the comforter. And suddenly, without warning, a loud roar filled the upper room where they were praying. A supernatural manifestation of fire appeared over each disciple, signaling the arrival of the long awaited promise. As the Holy Ghost was poured out, the disciples experienced a complete transformation. I am convinced that those of us that have the Spirit, have put the Spirit in check. And that's why we can't experience what God wants us to experience. What do you mean by that, preacher? The Holy Spirit can be in you, guiding you, directing you, telling you what to say, directing you where to go, but if you just ignore the the, the, the the spirit direction, the spirit understanding giving you, understand. if you just ignore and kind of just uh, and suppress that spirit of God that's in you, then guess what? You are guiding you. You are doing what you want and you're not allowing the spirit to work. And I believe that's where we need to ask ourselves to, to we need to go before God and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not allowing you to work in me. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so if God is in you, why won't you let God guide you? Why would you guide yourself? Why would you do whatever you want when God is in you, the one who created you, the one who knows more about you than anyone else? We still just go about our days suppressing Him and doing what we want. And I'm convinced that if we will get up every day and allow the Spirit of God to have full control in our life, we will begin to experience different things, spiritual things, powerful things in God if we will just let the Spirit guide us as opposed to us guiding our own will and way. We can't suppress the Holy Spirit in us. We have to we have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. And and you can't just Holy Spirit guide me. We have to feed. The Spirit of God in us, the things that are spiritual. So when I wake up, I gotta talk to the Lord. I gotta have the Spirit of God stirred inside of me. I gotta read the Word of God so the Word of God can stir me and quicken me. The Bible says the word is a living word. And so if I connect with the word, the word can just get me going and get me moving. And so I need to feed the Spirit, the Holy Ghost uh, gotta receive the things that are spiritual and not the things that are carnal so a lot of times we don't feed the spirit and that's why we cannot get the spirit to move us and guide us because we're not feeding the spirit we got to feed the holy ghost inside of us i heard a long time ago a preacher says we've got two dogs inside of us and the one we feed the most will be the strongest So you got your carnal nature and you got the Holy Ghost inside of you. If you feed the carnal nature, the carnal nature will rule you. If you feed the Holy Spirit more and the carnal nature less, then the Holy Spirit will have control in your life. So you got to ask yourself, which one of these dogs inside of you you're feeding the most? Because that's the one that's strongest. Mm -hmm. We got to feed the Holy Ghost. Because if we feed the Holy Ghost, we will be led by the Spirit. They that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. We got so much scripture. We got so much word. It's not the word anymore that we're lacking. It's just us putting into practice what the word already said. It's just us allowing God to have his way. We got a whole lot of word. We're smart and intelligent. We are well studied and well read now. We have information at our fingertip. It's no longer we need to hear the word. We've got it. God is saying, will you do something about it? As the spirit filled hearts, the promise, power, Jesus had prophesied took up residence within each of them. It was so transformational that it influenced, led them to impact the culture in which they moved and operated on a daily basis. When they received the Holy Ghost, it changed who they were it literally caused them to live differently. When they received the Holy Ghost, it affected the whole culture that they were living in because now they had the power of God dwelling inside of them. Can somebody get around any one of us that are Christians and say, oh, they stay, they different. They That's what they would say in this day and age, they different. Something going on with them that don't go on with everybody else. People got to get around us and say that. Why? I got Jesus in me and they they don't, but you know what we've gone to believe? We're believing because we try to appease everybody, make everybody feel good. We, we probably you know everybody say, "I know I have the spirit." and so because they said, "I know I have the spirit, and we're trying to be nice, we don't tell them, how do you know you have the spirit?" What what evidence that you have witnessed to say that you have the Spirit? And how has your life changed since you received the Spirit? And what are you doing differently since you have the Spirit? Because the Spirit is total opposite of what we do in our regular life. So how do you know you have the Spirit? You walk around telling us you got the Spirit. And people do this all the time, and we're trying to be respectful. No, you can still be respectful by saying, well, how do you know you have the Spirit? We have to test that because we ought to let, we got to prove to ourselves that having the spirit is going to cause me to be different from everybody else. I can't have the spirit and be like everybody else that don't have the spirit. Then Something is wrong. Not only did the power of the spirit produce culture change wherever the newly filled disciples went, but this new experience also thrusted these new believers into close fellowship one with another. Listen, remember I told you about the lunch, the dinner that these people have all the time and spend a lot of time together. We got to realize that if we continue in this, we're going to spend eternity together. We got to start liking each other. The Bible says. Oh, nobody, nothing except to love them. And how many of you know a lot of people love people, but they don't like them? You, you love them because they're a soul, but you don't like them because of how they behave. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We got to start liking each other because we need to spend more time together. Because you got to realize when you're not spending time with a fellow Christian, you're spending time with someone that curses. And if you like me, if you've been living for God in a little bit of time, when you hear a customer, it's like somebody just kind of stabbed me a little bit. Uh, And I'm trying my best not to really flinch a whole lot. You know, I'm flinching a little bit, but not a whole lot. So if I'm talking to someone and they cuss, ah. that's what i want to do but i try to kind of you know and 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 you know oh i'm sorry if they know me or something i'm sorry but my my point of what i'm saying is why would we not want to spend time with one another? We're not cursing around one another. We're not saying dirty things around one another. We're not trying to hurt one another. We're not trying to or should not be trying to use one another. So why don't we enjoy spending time with one another? Why are we trying to avoid spending time with one another when we will be spending eternity together? Every chance we get, we try to run away from each other. We come because this is a necessary thing. I have to go to church. So I'll put up with you because I got to go to church. We got to start liking one another and spend time with one another. Find the things in common that you have with each other and, 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 and add to that. And don't worry about the things you don't have in common. That's how Jesus ruled. When Jesus rolled upon somebody, he looked for something in common and start to begin to talk to them about that thing that he knew that they had in their life. And he can talk about that. And that's what we need to do. You know, if, 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 if you want a sister like pocketbooks, but she act like she, you know, all of that, talk about a nice pocketbook one day. Since you just have some really nice pocketbooks. But instead, what we do, we stay away from them because she thinks she all that because she got all the nice pocketbooks. So you don't talk to her. And then we start making assumptions of who she thinks she is. When all you need to do is just go say something nice. I don't know too many people that can reject niceness. Today, I read this article. Some of you may have read the same article. But I saw this article of these people that were married for 83 years. All right, let me see how deep did you get in the article. What was the number one thing that they gave, the number one reason why they stayed married for 83 years? The number one thing. Huh? Mm Mm-mm. I love it, man. I love the Bible. I love God. I wanted to shout when I read it. I just wanted to lose my natural mind. You know why? That's the word. They said, all we made sure we did was be kind to one another said man that's a fruit of the spirit man what's wrong with us we just can't get it right For the bible tells us everything we got we're putting this ad in the paper how these people been married together for 83 years and we celebrate and now we should but the reason they gave us ain't the things that we like to talk about make sure you don't go to bed angry make sure you compromise Make sure you date one another. You know, we get all that stuff. Now we all sophisticated. So we say, look, man, break it down. Kindness. Kindness. 83 years. They made sure they were kind to one another. Oh, my goodness. All of the other stuff. I know we got to do it. Communication, all that. Yes. But I know people. You ready for this one? two different nationality that got married and still didn't understand each other's language clearly. How they got along? That word. Because no matter what the language is, doesn't matter where you're from, if I'm kind to you, you will receive that. Man, we're not getting this stuff. God give us everything we need. Kindness, 83 years. I said, Jesus, why don't we listen to you? We we come up with all this stuff. Compromise, don't go to bed angry, make sure you date one another, do all that stuff. And Jesus said, I ain't never said nothing about go out on dates. Go read my word and see if you see, I said go on dates to keep your marriage together. Go read my word and see if I say, don't 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 go to bed angry. Oh, wait. He said, Don't let the sun go down up on your wrath. Right? So you gotta make sure you're right. So, yeah. But just get yourself right. If I show kindness, I won't have to worry about that. Kindness. It's just that simple. 83 years. Kindness. Wasn't nothing real deep. Luke Recorded how, recorded how in the early New Testament church provided for the needs that began to arise in the lives of their fellow believers. The generosity of this fledging church opened up a door of provision and blessings that spread throughout the region of the Christian church. Jesus had told his followers, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. However, little did the church know how far reaching that power would be. So when we think of power, all we want to think about is be healed in Jesus' name. Be set free in Jesus' name. But we're not thinking about the power of being generous to one another. Before you were saved, you were mean and you didn't you didn't do nothing for nobody. All about you. Well, I hope since you have the Holy Ghost, that changed. I hope now that you have the Holy Spirit, because that's part of the power of the Holy Ghost. It changes you to be different than what you used to be. So if I wasn't generous, I become generous because I have God in me. Greater is he that is in me than me that is in the world. Not only did it help them carry the gospel to the entire world, the gospel also impacted the love and care each disciple had for one another. The Holy Ghost impacted the generosity of the church, their generosity in sharing the gospel with the lost, and their generosity in sharing their blessings with those who were in need. When was the last time you shared your blessings with someone that was in need? Just a question. If you want, write down some of these questions and when we're done, if you want to discuss them, we can. Do you think the Holy Ghost makes us more generous? Do you think the Holy Ghost makes us more generous? And if so, why or why not? This type of generosity appears to something that was continued throughout the early stages of the early church. And so we're given a glimpse of that generosity. A major precedent was set in the formation of the church in regards to generous giving. As we examine the importance of the subject in this lesson, We must also be reminded that generosity is still something that is vitally important for today's church. Generosity opens a door that allows blessings to flow into many different areas of our lives as well as into the church. By looking closely at the instruction of Paul to the church in Corinth, we can learn the purpose behind giving and being generous. This attitude of generous giving is a powerful concept for those who are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. By giving far, giving is one, let me say it this way. By far, giving is one of the most apostolic attitudes we can possess as Christians. Men that's been in Pentecost longer than me. I have always heard them said this, when the church begins to give sacrificially, there's going to be a great move of God's spirit. They said giving always go before an extraordinary move of God's spirit. All of the people that I've heard speak about giving always said this. They always confirm this, that if you watch and see that giving, when you start seeing a church start to give sacrificially, when they start to give unconditionally, when they start to do that, you're going to start to see miracles begin to take place like you've never seen it before. Because somewhere in there, God begins to get stirred and moved and begin to do great things because of giving. Giving always go before. And I'll tell you this. In order to pray, what must you do? Give yourself. So we know nothing gets done without prayer, right? But the Bible also says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. So it means we can't just get together, oh Lord, and I'm not saying we can't say it like that sometimes and God respond. What I'm saying to you is when we get down to pray and we pray fervently and affectionately, when we pray that kind of way, it means we begin to give of ourselves. It means we begin to sacrifice ourselves unto the Lord because we're praying for his will. Not praying God bless me with a house, God bless me with a car, God bless me with a job, God bless me with some money, God bless my kids. I'm not talking about those prayers. I'm talking about prayer and say, God, will you use me as your vessel to reach the lost? God, will you send me to somebody that don't know who you are? God, will you use me? I want to go to the church. And I want to do the floors. I want to go to the church. And I want to clean the bathrooms. I want to go to the church. And I want to help with the nursery. I want to go to church. And I want to teach Sunday school. I want to go to church. And I want to work the audiovisual. I want to go to church church and I want to escort the people to their seats. Those are the kind of things that you pray and say, God, will you use me? And God certainly will raise up and says, you got it. In the name of Jesus, go and be used. In the name of Jesus, by the power of God, go and be used because you didn't pray for anything about you. But we spend a lot of time praying, God bless my home. God bless my children. Listen, I f- I still pray that sometimes, and I feel kind of silly praying it, because I just know I'm a servant of God. You got to take care of a servant. How, what, what kind of God you think he is? You're serving, servant, 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 and he's not taking care of your home. Uh-oh. My God don't work like that. My God, I, I go and serve for my God. He takes care of my business. Oh, yeah. It's the way it works. So I don't have to worry about it when I go and serve and worry about, God, what's going to happen to this one, and what's going to happen to the one? God's got them. God's got them. One of the fastest ways to destroy the power of greed is by giving. Uh Uh-huh. How about this? I'm going to challenge you a little bit. How about you go home tonight, and you pray? Go through the weekend and tell God to show you something in your house that you can take to give to somebody in this church. Let's all try that. For the next couple of weeks. Maybe, 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 maybe just pray about it. Don't just go and say, oh yeah, I didn't like this to begin with. Because I know my God. And you know, this is what I know about him. He's going to let you give somebody something you don't want to give up. Yeah, I know him. I know him. I know him. So, so so, don't just go. No, no. I want you to pray about this. I want you to go home and pray for the next few weeks until God show you something and to who you need to bring it to. And I want you to go home and pray and say, God, I'm going to listen to my pastor. And I'm going to go and I, I'm praying that you show me what you think I need to give to someone. You know what they need and you know what I need to give away. How about we try that? See if we're serious about being generous. See if we're serious about the word of God. In Corinthians 9, the apostle Paul applied the concept of giving, of sowing and reaping. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he who soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Woo! You hear me on that? So when God tell you go give them pair of shoes away, if you gonna have an attitude about it, don't even do it. If you're going to have an attitude about it, leave it right where it is because God loveth a cheerful giver, not one that's going to frown and give. He loves a cheerful giver. So you need to be bringing whatever you're going to give to someone with cheerfulness. I just think this would just go right good for you. I don't know what that was. I didn't even realize I was doing it until you started laughing. (laughs) but but try that and see what happens let's see when the lord tell you yep that outfit right there that one you was saving to wear on that trip yep take it right out she wear your size she wear your size don't even worry about it and don't tell the lord she put on a couple weight but lord i saw she put a couple pounds on the other day give it to her and she will lose those couple of pounds just so she can wear it The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. They don't want you to give grudgingly. He wants you to give cheerfully. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have an all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Listen, when you give cheerfully, the Bible says God will make his grace to abound. When you see that word abound, it means to thrive with you. When you see that word abound, it means it's means it just continual. And so it says here, if, if you are a cheerful giver, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And he went on to say that you always have sufficiency in all things. So you will, oh man, y'all see it already? Go give her, no, Go give up that nice outfit. Go give up the nice shoes and see. You're going to get more than. Listen, this is the thing about giving. It's so silly and funny at the same time. But when you start giving, you're going to realize that you're going to re- start receiving a lot of stuff. And you're going to realize, I'm going to have to start giving because here's what's going to happen. You won't have time to be dealing with all the stuff you're getting. So it's going to be like, y- you kind of like the, it's just flowing through you. So you give the shoes up today that you don't want to give up. And all of a sudden now, you know, um, you got somebody coming by your house and, girl, I got four boxes of shoes that I just thought about you and bring it to you. Now you're saying, I just got rid of one I didn't need. I'm trying to make sure I get my closet just right. And I got four pairs. So you got to keep on giving. I'm telling you, giving is so contagious. When you start giving, stuff starts coming your way and you're just like, what am I to do? What am I to do? Because it's just flowing. What am I to do? Just keep on giving. Keep on giving. (laughs) As it is written, he had dispersed abroad. He had given to the poor. His righteousness remained forever. Listen, having lived in a time where agriculture was the primary source of living, The readers of this passage no doubt understood what Paul was attempting to say. Jesus himself often used the subject of agriculture in his teaching. Paul wrote that giving should be a willing response to God's grace. If God's been good to us, we should be willing to give because God has been good to us. Jesus and Paul both reveal that blessings are directly related to giving. Huh. In fact, what also appears to be highlighted is that the size of what is harvested is in direct correlation to the size of what you sow. So, it's like giving offering. We can't give to receive, we're given because we're given by the love of God. Okay? However, if you give abundantly, you will reap abundantly. If you give sparingly, you're going to get something, but it will be sparingly. And so, depending on how much seed you plant, will depend on how much crop will grow. So, if you plant one seed, it's not going to produce a whole lot of crop. You, you plant multiple seeds, then you will get a whole big, gigantic crop. So depending on what you sow will depend on what you reap. And so we have to think about that when we give. You always hear this. That sometimes when you're down to your last, our instinct is to protect our last. In God's kingdom, give up your last. Now, that take a whole lot of faith. That take a whole lot of faith. And some of us not there yet. But it's always proven out that when we give sacrificially, God will return abundantly to us. So, sometimes when we're struggling financially, the way how to get out of the financial struggle is to start giving. Not start hoarding and holding on to everything. Girl, I barely can get to work. I don't have no gas this week. I, I'm broke. And you come to church. Here, here's a good one. You come to church. You got about $25 in your pocketbook. And you got about $36 in, 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 in the Mac machine. $36. So trick wise at 36 Some Mac machines don't give you $10. Some Mac machines only give $20. So you really only can get out of there $20. (laughs) Even though you got 36. And so, you're calculating in your mind, lunch, gas money, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And you got $25 in your pocket. And the preacher said, you need to give a good offering today. I feel like God want to bless somebody. And your first instinct is, This is my only 25. I only got 36 in the bank. That's for gas. I can't do that. That's your normal instinct. But if you will try, God, and give that 25 in your pocket, right before you leave, somebody's going to say, I don't know why, but here. And you walk outside, you do. There you go, 100. And you saying, oh, snap. That, that, it worked like that. That, 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 I can't tell you how many times that worked for me. Because, let me tell you a little secret. In, in in the church that I was in, I was the one that took the offering. I did everything in my church, right? And so, when you take an offering, you can't be a hypocrite. Well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, I'm just saying. So, when I'm going to take offering, guess what I got to make Sure. Offering is in my pocket. I can't get up here and take offering and telling you to give and I'm not giving. I don't play them kind of games with God. No sir, buddy. And so when I'm getting up there, and some days I get beside myself. And I don't know how much is in my pocket. And I just say, whatever you have in your pocket, brothers, just take it out put it And I look, and oh, snap. And I'm just laying it down on the plate because I didn't know I was trying. I laid it down on the plate. But I still did it cheerfully. I wouldn't lie to you. It never failed. One time I did it and somebody came up to me and says, I've got a money order that I never fill out the name of the person who it belonged to. That's yours. It's incredible how God does it. A money order. You would have never guess. person brought a money order, a blank money order, signed and everything, but was made out to nobody. God is trying to do this just to build up your faith. Just so he can use you. This is not about anything. We we take everything so personal. We we take everything. Everything we we just take like it's personal. And you know, you know what is God doing? Or you think what the preachers the preachers saying? Or you just think it's something personal and they don't understand? Listen, let me give you another insight. I don't care how ignorant the preacher is that's standing here. When you respond in faith, it's all that matters. I can get up here and say something ignorant. And because God loves you and you responded in faith, God blesses you. That's how it works. That's how it works. So you never have to worry and thinking the preacher trying to play you, the preacher trying to take advantage of you, or I just can't because of my situation. Anytime you operate in faith, it's an open door for God to say, Oh, girl, oh, my son, let me take It's an open door. God is ready to do that. Faith is the currency that unlocks every door. And it's not just for, you know, you to get a miracle. It's just whatever you do by faith, it opens the door. Sometimes we got to try God. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. This is is vital to our understanding of what Paul meant when he wrote that God loves a cheerful giver. It is clear in this passage that God loves a cheerful giver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to finish up here and tell you this. You can, we must understand that generosity is not just tied to financial giving. As we already know, because you're going to go home and pray for God to show you what you can give some, to somebody in church. So we know it's not just tied to generosity. is not just tied to financial giving. Also, one of the giving that you can do is of your time. That's probably the big one. I have a question for you. If you had a choice of money or time, which one would you prefer? Yeah? Who, who, who says money? i want to pray for y'all. Because if I get money and I get sick tomorrow, talk to me. Talk to me. Talk to me. Talk to me. I got that right if I'm laid up and and I'm sick. But if I have time, man, I can make money. As a matter of fact, that's what we all have. Who in here rich that I don't know? Uh. (laughs) We're not rich, but guess what we have? Time. And over a period of time, we can become rich. We know that if we're children of God, that God has blessed us and we have riches waiting for us in heaven. I got that. But I'm just saying, with time, you can obtain things. You can have money and can't spend it. So, we have to be generous with our time. We're all given 24 hours in a day, as we know. Therefore, this is one area of our lives that is equal for everyone. Nobody can say, you're getting over because you got more time than I do. No one has been gifted more time than anyone else. Our challenge is to take advantage of every moment and not squander time unfruitfully. As time is arguably our most valuable commodity. Arguably, because some of y'all said money. The way we use our time directly reflects the value we place on our relationship with God. Uh Uh-huh. I'm almost done. Stick with me for this next few minutes because I'm almost there. Listen. Besides the six to eight hours that you sleep at night, you should be getting that. What are some things you give the majority of your time to every day? How about, you're not going to do this because I I can only give you one homework at a time, so I don't want to, you know, just overload you. But how about this? Just think about this. Aside from your six to eight hours or ten hours, go and just reflect in your mind and see what next in your life get the most time. And for most of us, it's our job. And then go next, what gets the time. And just go down, go down, go down, and see what place Jesus comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing that we need to take full advantage of and be generous with is our talent. Some of us, we think that we don't have talent because we're looking at Hollywood, Hollywood. Or we're looking at sports and we're saying, well, I'm not a gifted athlete or I'm not a gifted actor or actress. So we think we don't have talent. We also get to the point where we come to church and we think because is what we see most of the times. We think the only ministries in church is people that sing and people that preach. So we say, well, I can sing and I'm not a preacher right now, so I don't have any talent. Have you thought about other things that you can do in the church that's not singing or preaching? Have you thought about that? Have you thought that God has given you talent, ability to do some other things that you just haven't tapped into because you've been focused on what everybody sees and not realize that God has given talent, many different talents to people to do things? For instance, uh, He's given Sister Maddie talent to decorate. She just have the knack for it. She can just do it and just decorate. That's a talent. Because some of you know you can't decorate. You know you can't. Don't even act like it. And if you think you can, it's just in your mind. But Sister Maddie is decorated, and we've all said, "woo," so we know she can decorate. But I just use that, use that as an example of talent. There's so much that God has given us as talent, but we overlook them and not even try to exercise those talents because we're only thinking about just a few things when we think talent. Finally, treasure. We talk about being generous. With our time, what do we do with our time? How much of it does God get? Our talent that God has blessed us with, what do we use it to do? And finally, treasure, which is money. Did you know, aside from the kingdom of God, money is the number one subject in the Bible as far as gets talked about? Aside from the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God gets talked about more than anything else. Then come money. Why would our holy Bible that's telling us about salvation and who Jesus is have that much information on money? Because the Bible knows, the the God of the Bible knows that money would be something that would become a problem to us. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. Um, both the lack of money and the abundance of money have ruined many people. Both the lack of money and the abundance of money have ruined a lot of people. Money can bring stress, anxiety, and depression. And contrary to popular belief, money cannot buy you happiness or love. It can't camped and you know what's something if you have lived life just a little bit you know what you have discovered just like me some things we think is what will make us happy or we'll be satisfied when this happened and as soon as we get used to it we're like oh no it's no big deal it's no big deal and so we might think you know If I can just pay off all my bills and don't owe anybody, I'll be good. And somehow you're able to pay off all your bills and you're still not good. I think the quicker we learn that nothing will make us good but Jesus, the better off we'll be. Uh-oh. only got about two people, three people. The sooner we learn that nothing will make us good and all right, Except Jesus, the better off we'll be. Because the way how we're built, everything that we will try to approach to think it will bring satisfaction, it will all be temporary. That satisfaction will be temporary. And before you know it, you're looking for the next satisfaction. You know that your life has proven that. As soon as you're satisfied, yeah... Yeah, you ready to move on? Jesus is the only one that's deep enough and vast enough that we can never get to a place and say, Yeah, I- I'm good. No, sir. Because it is He that made us and not we ourselves. And so the bottom line is, He knows what to make us tick, He knows how to make us tick, He knows how to do everything. To satisfy us. We don't even know what he knows as to how we can be satisfied. Money is best spent not accumulating toys for self, but meeting the needs of others and encouraging those who have fallen on hard times. We need to look out for people that are in need, and let's not criticize them and say, Well. I worked hard for mine and they were just foolish and they. Pray and ask God to help you with that. Because we sometimes feel like we shouldn't help others because they're careless with their money. They don't know what they're doing with their money. They're, you know, I work hard for mine and all that stuff. And God is saying. You're careless in some other areas because you got the money part down pat and you know how to handle that doesn't mean that you're going to look down on somebody that's struggling in that area. Yes, money is a necessity not only for our lives, but to fuel, the operation of ministry of God and the kingdom of God. Someone once said, show me your checkbook or your bank statement and I will show you your priorities as simple as that may sound it is the truth for the for where your treasure is there will your heart be also i remember one day my wife gave me a compliment without giving me a compliment she didn't even know she was looking through my checkbook and you know what she said to me everything's a christ-centered church i wanted to dance she was looking through my chat We're talking about. Everything's a Christ in a church. Christ in a church. That's right. That's where my money goes. That's right. <laughs> uh, she see all my checks that I wrote to the as for offering and untied. See, she see all. Put it right in Christ in a church. She gave me a compliment. She didn't even know it. Yep, she was looking at where all my checks were written. Ask yourself, where is all your checks written to? Where all your? If somebody looked at your bank statement, where's it gonna say? Shoes, pocketbooks. Suits, car, where is it going to say? Here's one, I got one for you, mess with you a little bit, because I just thought about this. If your car payment is more than what you give Jesus, you might want to think about that. Just take a drink on that. I don't know when I do it. You know, I, I I wish I I wish I wish I knew when I do these things. I don't know when I do them, so I can't just do it. Let us stand. We're gonna pray. Don't forget, you got homework tonight. For the next few weeks, pray through your house. Let the Lord bring it to your attention. Yes, sister Amanda.